The information contained in this podcast is provided for your general information only. It does not give medical advice or engage in the practice of medicine. This massage podcast under no circumstances recommends particular treatment for specific individuals and in all cases recommends that you consult your physician or local treatment center before pursuing any course of treatment. Good morning and welcome to the Massage Podcast. We are here today with episode four. We're a small group of massage therapists getting the word out about massage therapy, everything about massage therapy that you can possibly think of. Ways to do massage, what to do after you graduate, what to do if you've been in the business for a long time. Who knows? We have uh, lots and lots of things to talk about. I am Dawn Adkins, your host, along with Elaine Kalenda, our massage guru. Jorge Cisneros, our producer, a massage therapist as well. You can reach us anytime. You can send us a voicemail or a text message at 303-656-9860. You can send us an email at massagepodcast.com on the contact page. Come and chat with us during our live recordings, or you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Today, we're very excited. We're here with a guest, our very first special guest. We have Steve Mellis here. He is a chiropractor and who started off as a massage therapist. And Elaine is going to tell us a little bit more about why we've invited him here today. Hey, thanks, Don. And yes, Stephen Mellis, uh, doctor of chiropractic, and I met, when did you graduate from the Boulder College of Massage Therapy, Steve? Uh, 1994. 1994, and I was your teacher at that time. You were one of my biggest influences, Elaine, that's correct. I still credit you. Well, thank you, and I, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. You uh, not only graduated from BCMT, but then later on, uh, a couple of years later, you started to teach clinical kinesiology, was it? About two years after I graduated, I started assisting, and uh, there were some changes at that time and an opportunity for me to start teaching. I had had some teaching experience and uh, was able to step up, and uh, that was probably one of the most influential things uh, in my uh, career was the opportunity to be in the educational environment, and especially so soon after getting out of it. And uh, uh, that really inspired me, and uh, you look at all the people around you in Boulder there, and uh, really causes you to bring your game up. Right, and did would you say that also spurred your interest in pursuing further education and going to chiropractic school? Well, you bet. You know, uh, w- one of the first things I uh, that really um, caught me by surprise with massage therapy was how uh, how powerful it was, and uh, that there were so many different uh, modalities in body work and so many different ways to influence people. And uh, it really, once, uh, once I re- started to realize how, how big that was, I wanted to uh, pursue a, a, as much body work as I could and, and be the best body worker uh, ever or that I could mm-hmm. be anyway. And so for me, uh, chiropractic, uh, which is also a manual medicine, uh, very hand-oriented, uh, and of course the uh, you know with massage and the muscles and chiropractic and the bones and joints it uh, all that goes together and so uh, that really uh, 
Uh, it did. I saw what you could do with body work, and uh, I knew that uh, there was even more, and for me, that was chiropractic. Right, and I've been seeing uh, Steve for several, well, like a few years now, in his chiropractic practice there in Gun Barrel, part of Boulder, and he's like no other chiropractor I've ever been to. He spends an entire hour working with me, uh, doing manual therapy. He's given me a few adjustments mm-hmm. over the years, yeah, but but for the most part, I'm on the table and you're using your hands to um, adjust, not just adjust my facet joints, but then he massages uh, the ligamental capsules around each one. And I, those it just lasts so much longer, and he's gotten rid of my headaches, helped me with my, actually diagnosed my um, cervical ribs that I didn't know I had. And the x-rays that you take are very unique. Can you tell us a little bit about those types of x-rays you take? Well, the, um, uh, the, to talk about that, I have to identify myself as a Gonstead uh, chiropractor. There was a, a Dr. Gonstead back uh, in the early part of this century and mid part of the century who uh, was one of the big influences, uh, started a whole method in uh, chiropractic. And what, part of that method uh, involved applying engineering principles to the body and looking at the body structurally and saying, well, what if we apply these uh, um, principles to the body? And so the full spine x-ray was developed, and it's one that includes the pelvis and the thoracic region, lumbar, thoracic, and cervical. And gosh, you see things with that x-ray that you don't see with just the um, segmental views. Uh, you see how curve one curve causes another, uh, how a hip leads to uh, the uh, occiput being uh, off. And so uh, we do that, you know, typically when uh, if there are, or when we first see someone, uh, we will uh, go ahead and, and look at where their baseline is and take these full spine x-rays. And, and everyone who looks at them uh, is just amazed. It's like looking inside your own body and, mm-hmm. uh, and all of a sudden that, that ache or pain in the one shoulder or the neck uh, makes sense based on what you're seeing there. Right. You see the whole skull and all the way down past the hips a bit. So that's like looking at your whole torso. Uh, via x-ray. It's really very fascinating. And this is something you have in your office? We do, uh, yeah. Uh, Chiropractors in uh, almost all states are also licensed to do radiography. And uh, we don't necessarily do the full interpretation. Uh, That would be for radiologists. Um, But we do do the radiography and we can do uh, sort of fundamental interpretation and uh, determine whether or not this needs to go to a radiologist, that kind of thing. But but you bet. Chiropractic, uh, when you're um, working with the spine and, and the structures around the spine, whether they're nerves or discs or uh, sacroiliac joints, it's very important to know exactly what's going on there. And uh, you wouldn't believe how many anomalies occur in the bones uh, of the spine, whether you can have, whether it's spina bifida or it's spondylolisthesis mm-hmm. and structures that haven't grown together during development that should have. And uh, boy, you can get in trouble if you don't know they're there and, and you try to do, uh, you try and treat them normally. So mm-hmm. uh, it's really about patient safety and uh, patient treat, uh, outcomes long term. And so uh, making sure that we, uh, uh, take care of you first and uh, yeah and diagnosis I mean there's nothing better than finding out what exactly is going on mm-hmm. because uh, you know even the, the patient walks away thinking well yeah I better you know do this or that to get a little more motivation a little more information and it's always a good thing um, <clears throat> by the way um, your office is beautiful well, I mean it's so you. clean and uh, quiet and it's just a great environment you've got 
uh, Pilates going on there with with your wife Stacy, who teaches Pilates. Correct. You've got a massage, beautiful massage room, and a wonderful waiting room. I mean, the whole place is designed. It's it's very good looking, and uh, very clean. And I like that. Well, um, we we try and uh, you know you bet create an environment where people feel comfortable. So many people come in these days, and they've been to, uh, they've had a chiropractic experience uh, where it was a little more like fast food, right? And mm-hmm. uh, they were in and out, and they didn't feel heard or or cared for. And uh, we do not use that model. And I uh, really, um, it's it's too bad because chiropractic has a lot to offer, and uh, but some folks will be swayed by oh these practice management consultants who say no. Oh, this is the way uh, that it should be done. And that's not really putting the patient first. And uh, so uh, it takes time to understand everybody and what's going on and put the pieces together. And, uh, yeah, we try to create an environment that uh, supports that. Okay, great. Um, so tell us what you're up to these days. Uh, what have you got uh, coming down the uh well, Mike, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, gee, 2011 uh, could be uh, one of my breakout seasons here. There are some things I can talk about and some things I can't. Uh, primarily uh, having to do with my work with some pro athletes. And uh, there have, I have um, been working with a, a number of top-level pros in several sports, uh, snowboarding, cycling, triathlon, ultra-distance running, um, and, uh, oh, what else we got? Oh, uh, just marathon, I suppose, in general. But uh, uh, the work I'm doing with these folks uh, is so good that some of them are wanting to take me with them to, uh, to Europe. Oh, yeah, and, where do you uh, get to go? Well, you we'll see. You know, I'm not going to say the Tour de France yet, oh, but, you know, we'll see. Bonjour. That is, Practicing we, your French, though. I would like. I would like. Uh, right now, uh, some of the best work I've done uh, uh, really over last season with was with uh, cyclist Taylor Finney. Uh, he's a Boulder-based cyclist and uh, under-23 cyclist. His first year as a pro will be next year, but even as an under-23 cyclist, he has he won the world championships uh, in the time trial and uh, finished well in the road race. He's the reigning American uh, U.S. time trial champion. He uh, took it to the uh, the rest of the American peloton uh, a few months ago and showed him who's 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 coming along. So uh, uh, there's uh, uh, we've been real happy. Taylor's been real supportive of the work I've done and and, and been willing to credit me for uh, for helping him in a number of cases. And uh, it's really exciting, you know, when someone comes in and they're in and they can't ride and you can uh, do some things and have them riding uh, in a couple days and then they win a race and that feels mm-hmm. real good. That does, yeah. And, um, without m- mentioning uh, confidential things about Taylor, and, uh, but specifically, how about telling us about some of the injuries, some of the things that you're confronted with with these athletes? Well, gosh, you know, in, in, in cycling, it's uh, really um, um, a broad range. Uh, usually the injuries are due to crashes, uh, I should say, or at least the, the, you can see all manner of things with crashes, broken pelvises and collarbones, of course, and wrists and uh, uh, old legs and on and on. So you get complex uh, trauma like that. I bet. But, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, overuse and overtraining, these uh, pro athletes are pushing so hard that they're riding the fine line because between, um, um, you know, um, breaking down and, uh, you know, breaking out to the next level. So it's, it's, uh, that's where the people behind the scenes like myself become real important because we, uh, we don't win the race, but we allow them to keep training to win the next one and, uh, get them back from the injury. Or you may have to help them make that decision on, 
either whether to get back on the horse or to call it quits. And that can that's, be the problem that's sometimes. emotionally must be very uh, stressful for those guys and for you because you've got to have an influence and uh, yet you want them to, you know, continue. It's a, athletes are tough that way. They've got uh, an attitude of go, go, go until you're, you know, until you can't, so... Well, there's money at stake and uh, politics at stake and uh, so sponsors, you bet. And... Uh, there's, uh, you do things in pro sports that you'd never really want to do uh, as a recreational athlete. Ah, it's all the adrenaline. You know, I have, I have a question. Um, as far as runners, I, you know, I have a lot of clients always asking me, what kind of shoes should I wear? And what do you think about those? Uh, I think they're a kind of a paleo type shoe, the ones with mm-hmm. the toes yes. and, the, and the no padding and Mm -hmm. natural feet so to speak is the idea what do you think about that and i know that you know obviously i tell people not to run on pavement as little as or you know as little as possible try to run on the dirt or you know actually the street itself is better than concrete Mm -hmm. so please tell me what you think about the first the the shoes with with the toes and running barefoot Mm -hmm. yeah a lot of innovations coming along in footwear and uh, for runners it was it didn't see much other than the basic running shoe for uh, for a lot of decades there but uh, one of the new trends is with the barefoot running uh, and whether it's barefoot or with some of the uh, fingered shoes but uh, I like some things about it, and then I see where it's uh, causing some problems as well. Uh, I like that it encourages people to use all of their foot. So often when your foot is in a shoe, your toes don't flex or extend or move at all, really. And uh, you're not using those muscles, and your foot doesn't rock from side to side or get you know, massaged by the ground. And so I like the awareness that that's good. And... Uh, and if people would just walk with and, and perfect arches uh, in those shoes, I think I would be even more on uh, more um, an advocate of them. But uh, with people who don't have perfect arches and have some compromise, and boy, I I don't know where the exact statistic uh, comes out on that, but I certainly see uh, more folks with some compromise than I do uh, folks with perfect arches, and. Uh, and if those shoes don't allow for that arch, and if you don't consciously maintain the arch yourself uh, through awareness and, and posturing of your foot, then you can run into problems where you're over-pronating and you're, uh, you're stressing that more. But if you, if you maintain a, a good positive arch, then uh, you can get some real nice strengthening. The other problem I see is that sometimes folks are wearing them for too long, I think, and that, uh, uh, you know, I would recommend the use of those being at more like uh, an hour uh, to two, maybe maybe three a day, but not as an all-day footwear, not as an all-day choice, but as something to give your feet a little, a little change and a little strengthening, and, uh, and, and you bet, on softer surfaces more so. Mm-hmm. But, I see a lot of people out there that I think, in my humble opinion, should not be running their form is so looks so detrimental on their knees and ankles and the rest of their body. So it's another thing, too. You know, if you, if you have a good running form, if you're a little gazelle out there, I don't think you're going to get hurt. Uh, but so many people are running, you know, uh, with valgum and varus issues, but particularly valgum, mm-hmm. uh, genovalgum, and, uh, and then the ankles to compensate or going outward. It's I almost want to p- stop my car and pull them over and say, hey, get a bicycle or drive a car but don't run or a gait analysis you yeah. bet and uh lots of factors like that in body size too and so that lighter folks are going to get away with more mm-hmm. than heavier folks because there's just less force going through their arch and so uh lots of lots of pieces to that puzzle 
Uh, we'd like to remind you, you're at the Massage Podcast, and we're here today with our guest, Steve Mallis, a chiropractor who started off as a massage therapist, and um, he's here to give us all his information and his experience with athletes, it sounds like mostly, although he does have a family practice. If you have any questions, you can leave a voicemail or a text message at 303-656-9860 or find us on our website, massagepodcast.com, on the contact page. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Okay, so today we're talking with Steve Mellis. And, uh, Elaine, what else have we got to talk about? Well, I just let's go back a little bit and uh, talk about your early experiences as um, back to massage therapy. What were some of your challenges there, and what are some of your the challenges you face as a chiropractor? Well, uh, some similar and then, and then some new. Um, I think the physicality of the work is always a real challenge. Uh, that uh, you have to uh, find a style of body work that suits your your physical nature and uh, your size, your strength, your stamina. And uh, there's a lot of exploration in the early years around that. How much can I do and without uh, compromising myself in any way? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that, I think that really uh, typifies uh, one of the biggest early challenges for therapists is, is, is uh, finding uh, where they're living limits are and, and where they can, uh, what their threshold is or um, uh, how they can best uh, uh, do this work and, and yet uh, take care of themselves. So, and, and that continues, you know, uh, that challenge continues. Uh, you know, chiropractic is uh, one of the reasons I chose chiropractic uh, or, or wanted to pursue chiropractic was the, the notion that it was less, uh, less physical than massage and uh, a little less involved. But mm-hmm. Uh, What'd you find out? Well, it is, but I wish that people would just stop coming in with soft tissue problems because <laughs> chiropractic, you know, uh, uh, does uh, its it plays its part, but uh, so often uh, people's aches and pains have a soft tissue component, and you have to do some kind of soft tissue work with that. So that uh, some folks who come to see me may not have a chiropractic problem at all, and I will say so. But I'll say, look, your musculature here is much too rigid. It's irritable. Uh, it's uh, poor uh, blood flow here. It's it's too tight. It's causing you uh, alignment or uh, you know issues or otherwise, and we have to address that. And you see, uh, had you never gone to massage school, <laughs> you wouldn't have that problem because you you wouldn't uh, have had the palpation skills that make it possible for you to find all of these uh, trouble areas. That's true. You know, uh, you don't quite get the same palpation uh, of the musculature in chiropractic uh, education as you do in massage education, obviously. Uh, although you do get um, very fine palpation of of tissues and organs and joints, and so the combination of the two, that's one of the things I've realized is that uh, coming out of the chiropractic school and then having the massage already under my belt, uh, I really... the. I, mean, I can't hide a thing from yeah, you. Yeah, no. It, I, it, I can walk in there and not say a word, <laughs> and you, your hands go like little, you know, uh, hound dogs right to the to the spot. So it's great. It's great. If a, if a massage therapist wanted to take it to the next level uh, and and uh, you know uh, sort of assume the the responsibilities of a doctor uh, in a greater context and uh, and get uh, a, a new set of a new skill set and uh, and yet maintain you know build on what they've already um, acquired uh, really great move you know so is physical therapy so is osteopathy. Um, 
uh, acupuncture, maybe not as much because it's not quite as uh, manipulative at times, uh, although well, there is carryover. It's easier on the hands but it you is. Know, for those people who decide, hey, you know, this manual stuff's too much for me. Yeah, massage is a great springboard uh, for so many things uh, in life, uh, in, even outside of healthcare, but certainly within manual medicine. It, uh, nurses that have been trained in massage are some of the oh, best. Oh, that's a great uh, combo. Uh, yeah, and they're doing some br- brilliant research as well, the nurses in the hospitals. We have a qu- an online question. Um, Marcella would like to know if... Your training as a massage therapist makes a very large difference as in your approach uh, to your chiropractic work as opposed to, say, a chiropractor who has no massage. Yeah, I'd have experience. to say greatly. Yeah. I would, uh, you bet. And and I was surprised there weren't more uh, massage therapists at chiropractic school. I went to Palmer College of Chiropractic in Davenport, uh, a couple thousand students in my, my class, uh, um, and... Uh, well, I should say at the school, at the uh, active uh, students, and uh, only a couple of massage therapists there. I really, it was rare that I would meet someone who had that kind of background. So uh, I don't see as many pursuing it. I hope more do. Um, but uh, when you, if you're just a classically trained chiropractor, you really don't have that experience with soft tissue, and that's not in the curriculum at chiropractic schools. One of the one of the schools out west, uh, Western States Chiropractic, has included massage for the chiropractic curriculum, and is doing more with soft tissue. So the 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 industry, the profession, is aware that uh, there's more uh, that uh, chiropractors could be doing, but uh, there is so much with classic chiropractic itself. A lot of them, you know, they never get exposed to that. Some will do seminars and, and bring that up. So that certainly distinguishes me as a chiropractor. We recently did a patient survey and uh, to get some information from our patients about what they liked or, or what they thought uh, we could do better. And uh, we were really surprised at how happy people were that I did more than chiropractic. They said, you know, I've been to a chiropractor who just did chiropractic, but you, you check, you know, my range of motion, you palpate my musculature, you give me stretches, uh, you traction my neck, uh, you do these these other things, and uh, uh, they really, that's one of the things my uh, patients really appreciate about the, uh, the way I combine massage and chiropractic. Yeah, you take your time, mm-hmm. and you know, that's one of the, the, I don't want to even say luxuries, but necessity of dealing with soft tissue. Soft tissue is not in a hurry. And you you have to have that time. That's why uh, massage therapy is so successful. We have an hour with people, generally speaking, and it takes at least 15, 20 minutes just to relax and lie on the table and relax. So uh, that's one of the advantages. When when Stephen works with you, boy, he, he just he just keeps uh, working in that area until it gives way, and he doesn't. And you never feel rushed, and I like that. Is it also advantageous then? I mean, to uh, to have that degree uh, doctor uh, to work with insurance companies. I mean, this is this is something that um, uh, many massage therapists have difficulty with is getting the insurance to pay. You have that going on at your office. Well, a super bill. you know, that's yeah. uh, there's a hot potato there, uh, you know, uh, but I know amongst the practitioners that are in the circles that I speak with and uh, uh, talk to the uh, insurance is uh, perpetual uh, perennial frustration yeah and uh and and that's for the docs who've had more training in insurance billing or are using billing services uh, things like that um it, it is still the um uh 
Deni- delay, deny, defend is the <laughs> insurance company yeah. uh, practice. They will delay the payment as long as they can, and they'll deny that uh, it's it was necessary or, or under contract, and then they'll defend it in court if they don't uh, get success with the other two. Oh, it's criminal. And the, the whistleblowers that have come out with that uh, revealing you know internal memos to that effect uh, really shows you where that's at. So I would probably recommend that young therapists uh, look at some of the billing services that are out there yeah. Not try to um, take that on. That's mm-hmm. right. The billing services can carry a little more weight, and they they know uh, they have the education and and how to do it already. So you can save mm-hmm. yourself some of that. Yeah. Um, you never like to uh, give away any of, of your hard earned money, but uh, uh, that is that's worth it. Isn't that's it? one of the solutions I think uh, for therapists uh, in getting reimbursed. And you know, like tell us. I think you know we all know what chiropractic care is but what is the, uh, the brief history history of chiropractic care how did that get started and is it my understanding that it is it is typically an american practice or is it also practiced around the world and can you give me some examples oh you bet uh i'll try uh uh, you know, this course was uh, indoctrinated all this into me, so I can go on for a long time. I had to when I was in school, but I'll tell you how it originally started. There was a uh, start in Davenport, Iowa, with um, uh, a healer uh, named David Palmer, or I'm sorry, uh, Daniel D. Palmer, da- uh, David D. Palmer. Uh, there's D, there are two DDs. There's a right. Daniel D. His and a name David was D. Palmer. Um, that's right. His name was Palmer. Well, there's a couple of Palmer, so you have. It to, was BJ's father. It was uh, it was David D. I believe, and uh, he was studying some of the healing around at the turn of the century. This is around 1900, and uh, osteopathy was just getting started. Uh, Andrew Taylor Still and, and those folks uh, were doing some things. There was magnetic healing. And, uh, and these are Americans. These, yeah. this, these are Americans, okay. that's right. And uh, David D. was even traveling down the river to go to St. Louis to study with some of the osteopathists. So in the very beginning, uh, the birth of chiropractic and osteopathy was very intertwined. And uh, it just ended up that the folks who started it, one picked one name and the other picked the other name. Uh, one, uh, you know, and with David D, he was studying this healing and he had a um, janitor who was deaf in his building who came in one day and was complaining about uh, some upper back and neck pain. And uh, so David D put him down and he'd learned some things from these osteopathists or the early guys who started osteopathy. And he put a little pressure and thrust on a vertebra that felt very discomforting and, and tight uh, on, the, on the janitor there. Uh, Harvey Lillard was his name. And he uh, he uh, thrusted on it, and it, it adjusted. He heard a sound, and uh, lo and behold, if the janitor's hearing didn't come back. And uh, it was an amazing. It's documented. There's a building in Davenport where there's a plaque that says, the first chiropractic adjustment ever, you know, was done here. <laughs> So, well, this was just fuel for the fire. They were all looking for the next big thing. And uh, and when that happened, people took open their eyes and said, well, well, wow, what else? What is this? How does this work? And so that started the investigation into spinal manipulation by a, a group of folks. And uh, the osteopathists, of course, started doing that in the chiropractors. And, and many contributed, uh, probably B.J. Palmer, is uh, who is David D. son, in, and took over uh, the, the small school that David D. built and built it into what it is today. So that Palmer College in Davenport was the first college of chiropractic. That's where it all started. 
And, uh, but many have contributed since. And, uh, you know, I'm a Gonstead chiropractor. Dr. Gonstead came along in 1923. And uh, after they'd been going for a little while, and at that point in chiropractic, really uh, all the adjusting they were doing was in the cervical region and mostly upper cervical. They'd adjust uh, C1 or C2, and there wasn't, uh, they weren't doing uh, things with adjusting below that. And uh, there were some who said, well, wait a minute, you know, if someone, if a bone can go bad in the neck, why can't it go bad in the lumbar region or if you can have a joint that's stuck? So uh, people started looking at full spine adjusting, and Dr. Gonstead was one of the first of those. Uh, at that time, they would say that a sacroiliac joint couldn't move. And, uh, and then others said, well, no, wait a minute, there's a joint there, of course it moves. And uh, Dr. Gonstead wasn't the first, but he was one of the first to adjust a SI joint. And uh, so he contributed full spine adjusting to chiropractic, which had previously been upper cervical only. And uh, with the x-rays and the analysis and method and technique. And, and that now at this point in chiropractic, there are probably 110 uh, or, well, major techniques. There are more than that, but uh, that are recognized. And, and maybe about a dozen that are uh, really um, constitute the lion's share. And so uh, some folks will, uh, there's a variety of how folks will practice uh, incorporating um, all, different things along the year. I better stop there because it'll okay. go and go, but that's, how's that? No, that's that's interesting. I don't I don't think a lot of people think about where it actually started or and and it is typically an American practice, correct? Well, it is, although there are um, countries all over the world uh, licensed chiropractors. Uh, recently, most recently, India. Um, uh, I was with uh, some folks on a trip to India doing chiropractic, and uh, uh, one of the chiropractors there who was Indian and trained at Palmer uh, was lobbying at that time to be uh, one of the first licensed chiropractors in India, and, and she uh, uh, has since uh, been that way, and now there's a, a group of them, at least a dozen or so, um, uh, I think in the Mumbai area. And uh, so, and but you know, England, Scandinavia, um, New Zealand, Australia, uh, there are uh, chiropractors all over the world now. Uh, I think some of the best training is probably still American, although there are some schools abroad. And uh, but uh, but I would say, uh, yeah, certainly it's an American uh, export. And that's that's fun and that's fascinating to me because it just seems like here in America, everything has been imported from everywhere else mm -hmm. Chinese medicine. You know, yoga, uh, everything, uh, and massage, yeah. everything. Uh, and so it's fun to mm -hmm. have something health-oriented like this born out of our country. It's just, it's really cool to me. You know, it really is. And some folks will point, you know, uh, in the history of bodywork to hieroglyphics that have show bone setters, you know, setting bones. And uh, uh, But you have to distinguish bone setting from chiropractic a little bit. Uh, we went to see a bone setter in India, and uh, that's the kind of bone setting where when you have a broken bone and can't afford to go to the doctor, you know, they will try and set your bone. And it's a little, yeah, it's a little, it's a, it's a little different story. And mm -hmm. so it really, uh, and there's some, uh, there is, there are, there is a history of uh, joint manipulation. In, in Chinese medicine. Uh, I've uh, worked with Carl Dubitsky, uh, uh, who was uh, one of the founders of the AOB, um, BTA. AOBTA. Yeah, yeah AOBTA and uh, American Oriental Bodywork Therapy Association. And he'd studied in China. And he, I remember watching some videos he was showing me of Chinese manipulations, which were uh, quite wild, uh, but very uh, chiropractic, you know, in, in, in uh, uh, 
Uh, so there is a history there too that, uh, but uh, they don't call it that, and it, no, well, it gets wrapped up into uh, some, some actually some more uh, hands-on uh, and martial arts. And it, it comes out of the, a lot of the martial arts uh, when you're jumping around the dojo and you get hurt. There's always someone there to you know set your bone back in place, put your clavicle back in, and it's really an art form of its own. We had a student who was a, a martial artist, and her father was the bone setter for their dojo. And he, she would fall and do tumbles and things. And she said, and when a bone went out, he, he would just push it right back in. Mm-hmm. And he's, the sooner the better, she would say, you know, before the muscles have a chance to. And, you know, that's true of dislocation, too. The sooner the better, before the muscles oh, you tighten bet. up. Oh, you bet. I, I find it fascinating. And, of course, that it, manual medicine is natural medicine. So, I mean, you, people had to figure some of this out uh, over the ages, you know, with all the wars and all the injuries and what not? You bet. You bet. Yeah. You know, I heard, uh, I had a client recently tell me, and I don't know where it's come from. I've tried to Google it. Um, but he said he learned a type of massage for broken bones. We're actually massaging the broken bone so it heals within days. Is this possible? Is this true? And where can I get this training? Uh, <laughs> well, I've, I've worked with the body and bodies long enough. <laughs> That uh, just about anything is possible, okay. and so that uh, uh, there are some fantastic things that uh, uh, have happened, and people have uh, you know, either witnessed or experienced. And I don't, I don't debate whether or not those uh, things uh, actually happened as uh, so much, but. Um, with the healing of bones, you bet you can influence uh, whether it's with cold laser or uh, topical nutritionals, uh, systemic, you know, oral uh, uh, nutritional type stuff, uh, massage, uh, increasing blood flow and the vascularization of the area, which is just going to bring in more of the healing components. Um, you know, you have to be careful with that thing, that kind of thing. I, I don't know that I would want to massage a fracture unless Sounds I had an painful. X-ray. Yeah. You know, unless <laughs> I and, and uh, uh, what type of fracture? Right, I mean, it would know, depend on a desert island, uh, and you break your arm, <laughs> and then you do that, and uh, you try, and uh, but and that's likely how that kind of thing. So I wouldn't be surprised that uh, you can uh, have a dramatic influence on the on the formation of the callus around the bones afterwards, and and speed it. I don't know if we'll go. Day, you know, days on it, but uh, uh, yeah. you know, who knows? You pump enough calcium in, uh, in there, and uh, maybe. Well, in old massage books, you can always see treatments for fracture, and that always made me wonder: what do they mean, treatment for fracture? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, but in the old days, you know, in this eighteen hundreds, nineteen hundreds, when these books were written, these nurses, many of them were massage therapists, and they would, uh, you know, get in and and work with people uh, in certain circumstances Relief and pain. using. Percussion using topoamine and vibration was, you know, piezoelectric activity uh, to help remodeling and um, stimulate osteoblastic activity. And they, they, so there were treatments for fractures uh, written in these books. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then uh, just for our viewers, there, that's pre uh, pre urgent care facilities. Yes, so that, right. Uh, and but uh, yeah. If anything's a, bleeding, forget it. That's right. No, <laughs> no. And then a massage is not what you need. <laughs> what was your type uh, or favorite uh, type of body work, uh, and even in today, or how how has that evolved as you became a chiropractor? Mm-hmm. Well, as I said before, sort of matching a style of body work to your to your physical uh, nature and uh, being a little bit bigger and a little stronger, I was able to, and uh, excited to be able to do some of the connective tissue work. Mm. Uh, if you look at massage in terms of uh, 
what you're working on or what system. Uh, uh, in some ways, you can say there's neuromuscular work where you're working to manipulate the nervous system, doing muscle energy techniques or uh, PNF-type uh, proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, things like that, where you're not necessarily working on the connective tissue in a big way, but you're challenging or uh, reorganizing uh, the nervous system, uh, allowing nerves to relax and allowing spasm to relax. That's, that's kind of a neuromuscular type of work. Uh, connective tissue work is more along the lines of rolfing and cross-fiber friction. And that's the type of work you do when tissues are uh, adhesed together or they have become fibrotic from either overuse or the scar tissue from trauma. Uh, or you've got a shortening of tissues from structural misalignment where you really need to get in and do specific lengthening of, of tissue layers uh, that's connective tissue work, and that's really uh, what I have uh, um, done, or, or the, the work that distinguishes my work, I should say. I'm very much a connective tissue therapist. I do the neuromuscular work, and, uh, but uh, I have the ability with my, uh, my, uh, my strength in my hands and my uh, skill to do some of that kind of work, and so I do that because it's, hard, uh, uh, it's harder for... Um, other therapists sometimes, smaller therapists, to really get in. I have 200-plus pounds to give. We won't give the exact number. Uh, <laughs> but uh, And I, so I can generate uh, 200 pounds and more of force, you know, leaning in and pulling into someone. And a, a therapist who's 150 can do that. Uh, there's a limit. And sometimes the structures of the body or the size of the patient uh, means that uh, uh, that's what's required. And so uh, I, say, I do my part. I say, okay, I guess this is my lot. I can do those who can, should. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so connective tissue work uh, quite a bit, a lot like rolfing. You know, Ida Rolf was very influential in uh, influencing how I look at the body. Mm-hmm. That's uh, so far, like, I think that's one of the best advice uh, that I've come across in a long time as far as a body worker, do what you are capable of doing. Because I know, especially here in Colorado, Boulder especially, you know, we're, there's it's a very competitive market to be absolutely just over the top. And so a lot of therapists do want to reach the athletes. And I know for myself, I get uh, a, a very large athlete that comes on my table and I am wiped after an hour and they usually want 90 minutes and, and they want all I have. And I walk away just like, there's no way I could do this all day long. So there's definitely, luckily we have all kinds of people that we can, we all have our place. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> big people need big therapists. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, that, I think that's a real common sense kind of rule and that, uh, you know, you have to kind of accept that at some level. Now, uh, if you're doing the heavier duty kind of sports work or clinical work, then that, and, or if it's just one or two for you, that may be all right. But, but in general, uh, yeah, you bet. You want to match your client size to your size a little bit. And, uh, uh, you know, then that's for longevity in the profession. Cause even if you can do that, or you think you can for one or two years, you know, by three and four, you can start having inflammation in your joints and, you know, you, so, uh, uh, better to start, you know, in a, in with uh, maybe an acceptance or an understanding there and, and uh, uh, might be a, uh, better for longevity. Mm. Good advice. So uh, I wanted to ask another question, and that is um, looking back, you know, over how many years now, since 1994, going right back into your 
first uh, experiences with body work, would you do anything differently? Well, we talked about this uh, a little before the show there, and uh, believe it or not, one of the um, most important things uh, gets back again to the physical nature of the the work is uh, buying a uh, hydraulic table. My first mm-hmm. decade in massage, I used a table, uh, a standard massage table, and I I put it on its lowest setting, so it was only about uh, two feet off the ground, and I'm six foot. And uh, but I did that because it allowed me when I needed it, to deliver the most body weight I could. The lower your table, the more body weight you can put in, and so that opens me up to bigger folks and working on bigger folks because I, I have that mechanical advantage. But when you're doing other work, uh, you have to you know you have to spread your legs four feet apart and stand very stable and hold your back right. And uh, I, I was able to do that. I was strong. I was young. And but after a decade, I wanted to be a chiropractor. Right. <laughs> and so when I got out of chiropractic school, I had the op- I had the luxury of being able to buy a hydraulic massage table. And what a difference that makes. So I you just wish you would have done that me. sooner. I huh? wish I would have done that sooner. Uh, <laughs> I might not have uh, gone to chiropractic, though, if I had. Oh, that's true. You know, wow. I, there, there was a push force for me to mm-hmm. go into chiropractic was the, the wear and tear on the body, especially with that low table every day, you know, uh, adapting to that. But now that I bring people up and down, uh, you're going up and down all session uh, to suit where I'm at. And mm-hmm. uh, and it's just great. I, it doesn't bother me. I'm able to do quite a lot of body work these days. And, and that's a big reason. That'd be one of the okay. big things I'd change. All right. Great. Good good advice. Uh, start saving up now if you're going to massage school and it's worth getting that. Well worth it. Well worth it. For that it, table. What, do you, what do you all think? Uh, Jorge? Well, actually, I have one, one question. Um, I've heard sometimes some chiropractors obviously are recommending massage to, to do a combination of sessions between chiropractor adjustments and massage. You bet. What is your recommendation? Should it be the massage session after the, the adjustment or prior to the adjustment? What, what is it, your recommendation? Uh, yes. No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Both. <laughs> so it, it varies. I actually, um, you know, there are some uh, things with uh, adjusting that... Uh, Oh, uh, a lot of folks don't realize. Uh, some folks will think that uh, very big people, uh, oh, how can you adjust those, uh, you know, those big bodybuilders? And sometimes, because there's so much uh, rigidity, they're actually very easy to adjust. And where it becomes hard is the gal or the guy who is very flexible mm-hmm. and uh, what we call noodly. And that if you have really, if you are really flexible, it can be uh, difficult to stabilize the spine to allow yourself to correct the segment that needs to be corrected. So uh, you can see where you know it doesn't always uh, go how you. It's, it's not it's sort of counterintuitive at times. Um, I have some folks that adjust better uh, when we adjust them right off the street. And uh, that once we relax them and get them a little more noodly, they become a little harder at times to adjust. And so uh, that has been a learning experience. Uh, initially, I would have said that getting the body work first uh, before getting adjusted would be the best way to go. And I think in general, that's probably the first thing to try. Uh, I think that makes the most sense. But uh, there have been times where uh, due to the mechanics of adjusting, mm-hmm. it, it can actually uh, be easier and uh, um, to correct uh, to correct uh, subluxations uh, uh, just uh, with them uh, prior to body work. I see. What advice would you have for massage therapists that are interested in working with a chiropractor? I mean, what are the types of things that you look for in a massage therapist if you want to hire one? Mm-hmm. 
Well, I want to see a passion for, uh, you know, I should say most of the work that we're doing uh, in the office is clinical work. And uh, we're treating conditions, low back pain, neck pain, headaches, uh, sciatic, uh, you know, knee pain, what what have you. And uh, that is what I want in a therapist, someone who says, oh, yeah, I understand what that is. And uh, I understand what massage can do for that. Uh, massage can do a lot of things for all these conditions. Uh, and so understanding uh, that clinical aspect and how uh, how to apply it in these. And so uh, you don't have to know everything, but I'd like to see a passion there for that. Um, where, you know, you actually see someone during the day and then it inspires you to go home and, and say, I need to learn more about this. And that's what I did continually until I said, well, gosh, why don't I just be a chiropractor? I've learned the rest of it. Uh, so uh, I look for that. Uh, you know, I look for uh, communication, you know, being uh, someone who listens. Uh, I think one of the biggest things for massage therapists is is not communicating uh, well or efficiently with the patient. Uh, people say, well, I don't know if I gave them uh, what they want in that session. And I'll say, well, you know, there's, there's an easy way to, to, to sort that out. You say, is this what you want? No? Okay. Well, how about this? No? Okay. And, when they, and if you think uh, you're done there, you need to ask them. You need to say, well, does that feel like enough there? And if they say, no, I want you to do more, then you do more. And, and so if you constantly uh, keep that communication out, out there, you can never prevent, you know, uh, you can always prevent any sort of client dissatisfaction right. because you are always taking the initiative to check in and, and ask. And then it, whatever they say, you try and meet that as best as they can. And, uh, but uh, that goes so counter to routine-oriented massage. Uh, and so that coming into a chiropractor's office with a routine uh, and good routines is not what I'm looking for. I, you know, rarely am I uh, having my patients see one of my therapists to do a full body massage. I'm mm-hmm. sending them in. I say, you know, look, you need to sort out this rotator cuff, this piriformis is tight and fibrotic. We need to work with that, gluteus medius trigger points, uh, so so on and so forth. Uh, so it, uh, you have to be able to uh, work with the principles outside of a routine. You know, thinking outside the box as uh, any anybody in any field is good if they can think outside the box. Mm-hmm. What are some of the interview questions you would ask a massage therapist that you'd want them to be, you know, that would help you make the decision that that's the person you're going to hire? I mean, you, know, you talked about some qualities, but what about you know what are, what are the other qualities you're looking for? How are they going to? What questions would you ask them? Well, you know, it's really, I think, in massage, as has been the uh, tradition, I think uh, the most important thing in interviews is your hands-on. There's almost always for therapists the hands-on uh, component of the interview, and I certainly uh, I would never hire someone without uh, feeling what their work was like. So I actually give uh, folks, when they come to see me, a couple of scenarios. I, I tell them that I have shoulder pain in a shoulder, which uh, is true, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I'll say, tell me why. And, uh, and there you go. And that's wow. what you get. And so, so they're, they're, it's their job to go through my shoulder and, and I want to see what kind of diagnostics they use. Do they ra- do range of motion? Mm-hmm. Do they palpate all the musculature? Uh, do they do any special tests there? Right. Um, and then, uh, and then based on what they're finding, uh, okay, now that you've found that, what would you do with that to, to, uh, to relieve that? So I want, I put them right in to, uh, right in a the clinic. situation. Yeah, right. You bet. 
Okay, well, that would make a few people nervous. The other thing is, you know, we were just having this conversation at the school last week. What is diagnosis versus assessment? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a good way also to check their knowledge of the scope of practice Mm -hmm. because you don't want a massage therapist in your office really doing Mm -hmm. diagnosis, Mm -hmm. but doing good assessment tests so they can discuss with you um, what's going on with this uh, patient patient. we call them findings, and uh, mm-hmm. and the, so yeah, you bet. Mas- massage therapists are uh, absolutely uh, uh, qualified to uh, report findings about musculature and fascia and trigger points and range of motion. Uh, there are uh, you know palpatory findings, heat, edema, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, I think that's well within the range of the scope. I mean, if not massage therapists, who in a lot of uh, a lot of situations, who better to uh, uh, sort those things out. So I think those findings are important. And then what happens with findings is findings get put together into a diagnosis. Right. And so uh, you say, yep, these are my findings. And uh, and if in some cases you offer an opinion, say, well, this, or offer knowledge that says these, these findings happen to correlate very strongly with these things. Uh, this is my, how you might uh, pursue looking at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these are, the, these are my findings, and you can share them with an, a, a practitioner who's able to do the diagnosis. But I mm-hmm. certainly want findings from the therapist. I want to know what they find. Uh, uh, I want them doing some of those clinical assessments. Yeah, the combination of massage therapy and chiropractic. I mean, uh, osteopathic as well. That was my background. I worked with an osteopath for five years, and that's really where I learned how to look at an x-ray. He would stand there and show me what arthritis looked like, what anomalies looked like, call us in and discuss um, scoliosis, uh, and you could really take a look at it. And this was back in the 80s before MRI was used a lot. Uh, so we relied a, lot, a great deal on uh, these x-rays. And then the patient would go from his care uh, to the next room where they had some type of attraction or a galvanic stimulation. And then they would go for massage therapy. And then if they, and he specialized in dancers, then they would go and work with a dance therapist in the mirrored room. Mm-hmm. With a, I mean, what a combination. You walk down that hallway and you get all the, uh, a combination of treatments that was full care, you know, really full, complete care. We had a great success there. There were some great examples of that in the in the history too of chiropractic of of multidisciplinary things and working at the TB uh, tuberculosis sanatoriums and uh, uh, there was one of the big uh, first uh, 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 clinical studies on chiropractic was at the sanatorium in uh, Denver here um, uh, back in the sixties. Uh, oh gosh, the name is escaping me now. But um, but you bet uh, they uh, you know in in some ways healthcare has taken a step back uh, in in terms of there was I saw. There are a lot of examples of folks doing that kind of work, you know, uh, um, that uh, these days uh, you are so confined to uh, your box in terms of uh, insurance billing or licensing or, uh, you know, the professions laying out territorial claims and uh so, uh, you know, but, but you bet, you know, so many, so many times conditions are not, uh, don't require just one treatment, but several things, or so there are several pieces to the solution. I agree. You know, massage, I think, could also become uh, a four-year degree. You know, they could really add nutrition and add way more in-depth into issues, uh, spinal and musculature, musculature. 
You're talking about Muscular a doctorate in Thank massage you. therapy. Yeah. Are you talking about a doctorate in massage therapy? Blah, blah, blah. Because that's what it would, it would have to become. I mean, you know, this. It's what uh, it feels like sometimes. I know. I, I just It's never ending the information that I learn that is beneficial to my practice and beyond, you know, what they teach us in school. So, yes, a doctorate in well, massage yeah. therapy. We can go from 500 hours to a doctorate in massage therapy. It'll take a few years, yeah. but we're working on it. Uh, it's um, And I'm talking 500 national, uh, still the national standard, although that's being pushed up. It's being pushed up and uh, by the profession, by the practitioners who are already out there saying, gee, I wish I would have learned more about this and that. They're running now trying to find good uh, quality uh, continuing education and um, but a lot of them end up doing what I did, which is the on the job training. If they're lucky enough to get into a doctor's office, a multidisciplinary practice where they can learn from other therapists, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's the best. That was the for me. That was the best. That on the job training. Uh, so any type of massage school that um, uh, may go, hopefully one of these days, would have to go from vocational education to regional education and be a real university instead of career college, vocation, bartender, you know, um, right. hairdresser. We've got to get out of that category. Yeah. We won't until we get into regional uh, education. Uh, so you'd have to have your general ed and everything like that. So I, I, that's a, that would be the first school to do that, be on the cutting edge of the new era of massage therapy. Mm, yeah. Mm. To practice uh, medical massage or to get the type of insurance and referral in Canada, it's 2,200 hours. Minimum. And yeah. You Minimum. bet. You bet. And, wow. uh, that's, and that's because the government's paying for it, so they, uh, you Absolutely. know, they've got their hand in a little more. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, you, you know, there's so much that can be done. And there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, risk and liability. You know, it really amazed me when, uh, you know, with the x-ray, like you say, that was so influential for you there, Elaine, uh, seeing uh, seeing things in there for the first time and, and how much can be going on. You know, uh, you wouldn't look at me and think I had ever uh, a lumbar curvature, but sure enough, uh, you know, you, you can't see that in someone. And uh, it's just fascinating what goes on in there. And uh, the more you know, uh, the more you can do quite often and the more you can help people. And so uh, lately I've been seeing folks who have been to the the litany of practitioners who have been unable to help, uh, you know, offered some things that uh, uh, maybe, uh, you know, their piece, but it, it, it never solved their problem. And uh, uh, so often those folks uh, will find a body worker somewhere who has had, you know, this kind of training and uh, uh, spent these years, you know, doing that. And, and, and that's the person that, that uh, finally helps them out. Yeah, yeah. All right, excellent. Well, you've been listening to the Massage Podcast here in Boulder, Colorado. Next week's guest is going to be Ruth Werner. Can Elaine tell us about her? Ruth Werner is um, the Massage Therapy Foundation's president, the current president. She just um, got that uh, position. Uh, she is uh, also the author of a Massage Therapist Guide to Pathology. And I've used her book, Teaching Pathology, at Boulder College of Massage Therapy now for many years. It's in its fourth edition, and I believe she's working on a fifth. Ruth is a wonderful person. She is going to be a blast to sit here and gab with next time. Um, she brings so much to the profession. She also won the Teacher of the Year Award, the uh, uh, Jerome Perlinski Teacher of the Year Award a few years ago. She's just well-rounded and very interesting person to talk with, so she's going to be great to have on. Okay, that's excellent. And um, 
Do you have a tip of the week uh, for for Yes, today? I do. Of course, I have a tip of the week, and that is, um, last time we were talking about marketing, uh, we're always talking about marketing ideas, and I don't think a lot of massage, I am t- uh, the um, American Massage Therapy Association members realize that they can get more than insurance from their membership and that they should go onto the website and see what all the new things are that they have, one of which is you can set up a free website. Uh, so that's, you know, these days everybody wants to do marketing and everybody wants to know what your website is and you can get one free with your membership. It's easy to set up. It's uh, pretty much walk you right through it. Also for ABMP folks, uh, go on their website once in a while. They've got a lot of good marketing tips on there and there's always a wealth of information of things you probably just aren't utilizing that you should. So uh, take advantage of, it's not just for insurance, your membership uh, is to help you as a massage therapist to succeed. We also have an accessory of the week, and I want Dr. Stephen Mellis to help me talk about Sombra. It's over here. Um, I used this um, a couple of years ago when you first introduced me to it. This is an analgesic, what do you call these? Topical analgesics. Topical analgesics. I learned it at the Swedish <laughs> Institute. We called it a contra-irritant. A contra-irritant. Contra-irritant. Oh my In other words, it's a it's counter to the irritant of <laughs> counter pain. Counter to the irritant, sure. And you've got everything from Tiger Balm to Bengay to, you know, liniments with the old-fashioned liniments that they used to put, you know, formaldehyde in and, and turpentine. But this <laughs> is a beautiful... <laughs> Um, Sombra Warm Therapy Natural Pain Relieving Gel. I used this last week, and I love the fact that I could put it on. It didn't burn me, and it didn't make me smell all day. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about why you recommend this Sombra. Well, you know, this was uh, a vendor came uh, uh, to our office uh, with these uh, this Sombra, and, and uh, our approach to carrying products is we only uh, carry products in the office that we use ourselves. And so we said, well, okay, thank you very much. Let's let's try this. And uh, uh, on occasion, I'll need a topical analgesic to ease a little bit of the pain uh, and uh, uh, and to relax uh, an area. And uh, and I've found this uh, quite, uh, you bet, quite excellent. There are a couple of things that distinguish it. It's capsaicin-based, meaning that's the, the thing that gives the heat or the, the uh, uh, brings the blood flow when you is put like these a on. Is the active ingredient in hot peppers. That's right. Although I can't tell you the exact uh, percentage. Well, this, it doesn't burn. This would qualify, that's right. It would qualify in the mild to moderate category. Certainly not a heavy duty or extra strength. But, you know, one of the things you're seeing more with these new uh uh, products are incorporating the herbal components. So this one has aloe vera in it and um, oh, green tea extract, orange peel extract, uh, rose water, witch hazel, yucca extract. Nice, very mellow. You it feels bet. nice on the skin. You bet. Real soothing and it takes care of your skin as well. It's something that uh, you're likely to be able to use with clients safely uh, unless they have some sort of known irritation to that. Okay, thank All you. All right, Steve, I'd like to thank you very much for being our guest today on the Massage Podcast. And thank well, you, Ron. before we we wrap things up you want to give us a little information about your practice where people can find you oh people can find us on the web at uh, www.pro-active-chiro that's c-h-i-r-o dot com uh, and uh, we're in Boulder here uh, gun barrel uh, we're on spine road and so you can't go wrong with a chiropractor on spine road <laughs> and uh, you can uh, give the office a holler at 303 303- 
530-4280. And, uh, but uh, look forward to uh, seeing uh, some of your viewers or if anybody wants follow-up on anything from the podcast, uh, I'd like to be a resource and uh, feel free to give a call. Thanks very That's much. Very and, yeah, Don't Thank forget you. to visit over there the Stephen uh, Mellis, uh, doctor of chiropractic, beautiful office, wonderful um, personnel working there, including his wife, Stacy. And every once in a while, you get the joy of seeing his lovely daughter, Evelyn. Hi, Evelyn. Oh, thank you. All right. Thank you, folks, for listening. You've been listening to the Massage Podcast. Small group of folks here trying to get the word out on massage, being a massage therapist, and everything you need to know about massage. You guys have a great, great day. Thank you.